Hey everyone, my name's Jen. I'm a licensed minister, a certified trauma-informed coach, and your host. Today we're here to save the pain. podcast brought to you by New Course Coaching, a trauma-informed coaching company focused on trauma recovery. Today, we are back on Say the Pain with Amanda Jarvis. Amanda is a mother of four, and we talked about she's a wife of one. She's also a published author of Micro Miracles. And I did not know about Micro Miracles until I was at Iowa Ladies Conference in April of 23. And she had a booth up, and I had in some respects seen Amanda in some of the circles that I work with, but I had never gotten to meet Amanda. And so now she is a guest on Say the Pain. So Amanda, welcome. And I'm gonna let her kind of tell you what Micro Miracles is, because that's a lot of what we're gonna talk about today. So I won't give any spoiler alerts, but. Amanda, welcome to Say the Pain. Yes, thank you so much um, for having me. Micro Miracles started with my twin boys. It's a journey of twin boys that were born at 25 weeks in their journey through the NICU. It's just a small journal that a close friend now gave me while I was in the NICU or heading towards. But before we got to the micro miracles, it started all the way back at the beginning of 2016. I was married December 12, 2015, and less than a month later, I found out that while well, I started having symptoms and I was like, okay, something's different. And come to find out I was pregnant right after she married, which was always a joke because I love children. And I was like, oh, it's not going to happen. And it did. But <laughs> once time I started having complications, there was bleeding and I was distraught. Like what's going on? When I went to the doctor for my 12 week, he checked and he's like, um, there's nothing. I was like, what do you mean there's nothing? And I had seen when I passed the baby, but I was in such denial that I refused to come to grips with it until after I'd gone to the doctor and it was confirmed that I had miscarried. My husband and I had prayed like, okay, God, is this true that you really, you took the baby and... God showed the baby in his arm and said, but Amanda would be a mommy. And I said, okay, I have the promise. I found out at the beginning of March that I had miscarried. And by June, my father-in-law had passed away. And that week, I became pregnant with the twin. And pretty much right oh, wow. off the bat, there was quite a bit of pain just because twin and being so small, 
there was a lot of stretching. And so pain was quite usual with being pregnant with twins. And I would try to take it easy as best as possible. November, right after Thanksgiving, November 29th, I woke up at five o'clock in the morning in excruciating pain. I told my husband, don't touch me, don't look at me. Well, he thought I was kidding. So he'd like poke and just pick. It's five o'clock in the morning. I'm trying to get him ready for work, trying to do my usual, like, okay, it's just stretching. It's fine. Maybe Braxton Hicks it was quite common for 25 weeks being pregnant that something might be wrong, but I don't know. I'll find out later. I'm not a morning person at all. So I was like, okay, I'll get you out of the house and before trying to get ready for work. Because at the time I was a homeschool teacher. I'd rest a little bit longer after Tyler went to work for my husband and then go teach these three siblings in my day with them and laid down i had our puppy at the time laying against me and he was trying to come for me and back and forth back and forth for almost an hour and i could not get comfortable the pain just kept on coming and coming and i got up was like okay something's wrong tried to call the hospital and my phone wouldn't work at all there was a complication with our phone plane and they had shut ours down the whole group so i had no communication with tyler so i did i thought was the best option i did my vehicle drove 45 minutes in active labor having contractions every two minutes that is the only reason i made it to the hospital because there is no way through those contractions I would have stayed on the curving road if God wouldn't have taken the wheel during that. Got to the hospital and they had reassured me, oh, it's fine. It's probably just a small complication. Let's check on you. And after getting you relaxed a little bit, we'll send you home, get some rest, maybe put you on bed rest, whatever. And right when my doctor had checked me, I could see like his face change and he said, nope, they're going to be born today. One of the sex had ruptured and they said, well, there's a 20 to 30% chance not everything will be okay. We can get to the big hospital. There's a higher chance we have all the, we do not. And you said you drove 45 minutes to the hospital. Was that just because that was the closest hospital or was that like your hospital? That was my hospital. Okay. I wasn't familiar with some of the other areas and because my doctor had worked with me being pregnant with twins I was high risk so I had appointments driving to Sioux Falls which is about two and a half hours away and that was where they were trying to get me but when he checked me and found out I was already five centimeters and the boys were trying to be born already that my body was just trying to push him out it would have crushed him so they had to pretty much pump me with steroids any and every medicine they possibly could give me to stop contractions, to help the boys, to calm my nerves. They strapped me to all the machines and they kept on losing Jonah's heart rate. Oh. Just running to 120. They're like, oh, nope, that's mommy. And I'm freaking out. Like, you mean my heart rate's 120? Like, what? Wow. Where's my kids? What's going on? They're like, it's okay. Deep breaths, mama. And I was still like, okay, well, my husband's not here. How are you going to get a hold of him? We don't have phones. Um, it was by miracle that we were able to get a hold of his boss. My doctor had called and said, get Tyler here now. It was right before he was getting into a semi. If he would have gotten to the semi, there would have been no communication at all. He would have never known what was going on until he got home and 
still wouldn't have any communication. My husband heard, he jumped in the vehicle, got there. They wanted to transfer me to Sioux Falls, but being already five centimeters, the doctor said, that's not possible. She will have the babies in the air if you did that. And they would all three die. There would be no way of saving. So I'm like, okay, well, we have to stop or slow the contractions just enough for the NICU teams from Sioux Falls to get there. And I got to the hospital around 8.30, and they had to stop it long enough to get there till noon. And right as the ambulance was pulling in to the Spencer Hospital with the NICU teams, my doctor was standing over me with a scalpel just ready. And at 12.01, Jonah, the oldest, was born. And they struggled to get him settled. They couldn't find his heart rate, and he was gasping. After a little bit, they got him settled. They got him hooked up to the equipment that they had brought and prepared him for transfer. They turned back for the team for Noah. They lost Noah because Noah was smashed deep in my placenta. And thankfully, I couldn't hear it at the time. But my husband could hear them like, where's the other twin? We can't find him. And at 12.03, two minutes later, they did find him. He was very badly bruised, but he was trying to gasp for air. He was settled within a couple minutes and they were able to move him to the nursery to prepare transport once Jonah got to Sioux Falls, settled and everything. For Jonah's transfer, they took me to the recovery room. They wheeled Jonah in. So all I saw was just big box with a little small frame of the body in there. I did not get to see Jonah more than just this Big box with a bunch of wires and tubes and cords everywhere and this little itty-bitty frame as they said, okay, they love you, bye, see you in a couple days, hopefully, and rushed him out. I'm still like, okay, what's going on? Did I just have babies at 25 weeks? I've never heard of it. After I finally regained just a little bit of energy, they, my doctor had agreed to wheel me down to the nursery. There was no other babies, so I could just sit by Noah. My husband and I were very scared to touch him because one of the first things they said when we wheeled in there was, you can't rub his skin or it will tear his skin. It was just paper thin. You have to gently touch or it would hurt him. My husband refused to touch. I wanted so bad to have that connection and sat there for almost six hours just crying because the nurse, the only way that Noah could breathe was she just sat there and tapped to air pressure. But at that moment, it was just so overwhelming to see all of it. And about 6.30, 7 o'clock, the transport nurses came and took Noah away. And I wasn't sure if that was going to be the last time I ever saw them again or what would come in the next days or months. Because I was still in denial. It was like, this, this couldn't be happening. This is just a dream. They told me that next day, I had them on a Tuesday. And on Wednesday, they said, if I can learn to walk again and just recover as best as possible after C-section, they released me on Thursday. I was determined because I was two and a half hours away from my babies. And the NICU did as best as they can, keeping me up to date. But it's not the same as physically seeing them and knowing how they actually are. Because during that time, they code, they can, if they code, they're not going to be calling me the first thing. They're going to wait till after they get the boys settled to be able to call and be like, oh yeah, we had this issue. On Thursday, they released me and I finally got to see them. 
at about eight o'clock at night on Thursday. And that started a very long journey of ups and downs. It was seven months that we were in the NICU where Jonah had a brain bleed of grade four. So I was meeting with the neurologist almost weekly for the first three months. It was weekly and then bi-weekly just checking because if the brain bleed would worsen, we'd have to talk about having surgery to stop it. And as a result now, his whole entire right side is delayed. But even now, God's slowly just doing miracle after miracle. So how old are your boys now? The boys are six and a half months. Or not months. Sorry. Six and a half years. In so after having a miscarriage and what was the you said like it was within a short amount of time that you were pregnant again with the twins yep it was about three months later to me it felt like years but it was very short so you just came out of a pregnancy loss and then you're you're being told that you have twins but now your twins are almost at an untouchable place where yeah. there's just a lot of complications to even say that you have twins because they're not with you. Nope. You were with the NICU with seven, seven and a half months. Yep. For the old. And for what? I'm sorry. For Jonah. No one got out of NICU for eight months where he was transferred to a care facility for another nine and a half months where he came home at just before 18 months old. You mentioned that you went to the Spencer Hospital. And so for those listening, she's referencing uh, Spencer, Iowa. And I only know that because I've, in the past few years, learned about Spencer, Iowa. But uh, it's not a, it is not a urban area. It is very much out in the middle of nowhere. It is. uh of Iowa is just cornfields. There's nothing. Yeah. So when you said going to Sioux Falls, that's South Dakota. Yes. Yep. So that's the closest hospital. You have to literally go to South Dakota in order to receive the care that's needed for your babies at this point. So you were at Sioux Falls for seven months? Yes. Yep. We were in Sioux Falls for seven months with both boys. And that June, Jonah was released to go home. Noah, they were eating okay right after Easter. They started eating, and we thought we were close to the end. And we found out he was secretly aspirating. All the liquids would go straight to his lungs, and we didn't know. There was no coughing, no sign of it, and he got pneumonia. His lungs were so damaged by being on a breathing tube for so long that he wasn't able to recover. So they had to put a trach in. It was trach and then a G2. And as a result, he couldn't come home. Not full time care. I couldn't do the care for him at the time. So he his only option was to go to Des Moines to child serve a care facility. It's like a nursing home, but for babies is how I was explaining because there was a lot of complications of where really is he, what type of place is this? And after he had the trach surgery and we knew that he would not be able to come home, it was a lot of mom guilt because I never wanted that to actually happen. I didn't want him to have to have a trach where he couldn't speak. I couldn't hear him. And it wasn't until after he came home that I finally got to hear his voice after 17 months that we were able to 
pull the trach out. And I don't, I don't know which one, and I don't know if it'll be caught on this recording, but I can hear some of the kids in the background. And you've told me that you've got somebody watching. So I don't know if it's his lungs that are, he's now expressing his voice in the background or. I think so, because <laughs> right after he had the trade and was heading towards the care facility, I actually had medical professionals tell me he would be better off dead. He'd be lifeless, vegetable. The boys would never oh, wow. walk. They'd be on machines their whole life. And I'm pretty sure God took that as a challenge because when you actually see the boys now, they are so far from being lifeless. So far. They they don't stop moving. They're constantly just active. Noah, the one that I put in here for 17 months, is by far the loudest. But I wouldn't trade that at all. I love hearing his voice because I know what it's like to watch him have facial expressions and not be able to vocalize when he's in pain and when he needs some. I wouldn't trade it. I had someone kind of like, oh, you'll miss those times when they couldn't move it. I said, nope, I would chase them to Timbuktu before I would ever miss watching my kids struggle to breathe and to live. And I felt bad for the person afterwards because they didn't mean to say anything. It was just one of those days sure. that I wanted no home and I was just done with traveling. And when Jonah was released, I couldn't just hop into traveling all the time. I couldn't go see Noah. So there was a huge gap where it was winter time. I couldn't take Jonah out for fear of RSB and I would just cry that I'd actually get to see pictures of Noah, but two and a half months of not being able to hold him, not being able to see him, missing so many firsts for him. I didn't see the first time he rolled over, his first tooth popping out. And when he came home, I was so clingy to him because for 18 months, someone else raised my child. And I felt so guilty. I thought it was my fault yeah. because my body had failed them. Someone else had to give them full-time care because mama couldn't. That is not the case. It wasn't my fault, but it's those thoughts that you have in your head of, well, if your body wouldn't have messed up, they would have been born at the right time. And it took many, many years before that was something I can, could heal from. It actually wasn't until my youngest was born that I could actually say it was no longer my fault. And what was the span of years between the twins and then, because you're your mom of four. The youngest was born right before the boys turned four years old. So four years of dealing with um, a lot of medical things and coping with believing it was my fault. There would be nights that I would just sit in the kitchen and cry. And each pregnancy I had, right after Jonah came home and Noah went to the care facility that August. And I found out that I was pregnant at Christmas. The following year. Um, of 2017. So Jonah came home June of 2017. Jonah came home and Noah was still in a care facility when I got pregnant with our daughter. And 
I was shaking when I found out. I didn't know if Noah would be able to come home. I still was wondering if he would ever come home. And how dare I go and get pregnant? Yeah. And I wouldn't shade it. There was healing that came from that pregnancy. But there was also many months of being anxious that Noah wouldn't be home in time or that he'd never come home, that people would think that I would forget about Noah. And Noah came home May 2018. Adeline was born August 2018. So it was a very short time of Noah being home. It was a miracle that he actually got to come home. They said that he would not come home until he was off of the trait or that we could find a full-time caregiver. We live, like I said, in the middle of nowhere with all just cornfields. So there's no nurses in the area that would be able to travel to be with Noah. And the doctor in Des Moines wanted to take it so slow with the tray because we didn't want to end back up in the hospital and have to start back at square one. Because Noah would have good days and then suddenly just plummet. When I finally got to see him in February of 18, I had a meeting and they said, you signed a paper. There's no way he can come home until he's off of the trach or you find a caregiver. I was very sad, but I knew that was the truth. I, I signed the paper. There, I was under contract. There was nothing I could do. I couldn't just like, okay, well, I no longer want him to be here. I went home and about two weeks later, I got a phone call from one of the administrators at the child care facility. And they said, you know, all of the medical team has talked and we believe that you could do it. If you take this course and do all the training you need, we will release Noah to your full-time care. I'm pretty sure I cried for about three hours straight after that phone call because what they said would never happen became a reality because God opened a door and moved. My husband and I worked and traveled back and forth from the end of February all the way until he came home in May for him to be able to have the care and everything he needed. When Adeline went to be born, they actually put me in the exact same room that the boys were born. My hospital room and my labor and delivery, I was in the exact same room. So a place that was so traumatic became a place of healing because I went in there and was able to have a completely natural birth. My doctor, which very rarely after a C-section will they allow it, but my doctor said, as long as there is no distress of you or baby, you will be able to have a natural birth. Something I wanted to do with the boys, I was, I had in my head, I was going to go with no medicine. And I did. I was so excited that I was able to do it. And the only, right before she was born, I asked them for heartburn medicine because I couldn't oh. stand the heart. I could do the contractions, but not with the heartburn. <laughs> she was born and it was a 16 hour labor with her. And the very first thing I did was give me donuts. <laughs> and all day long, my doctor and my husband would just walk in and go, oh, there's donuts on the counter. And they just eat these donuts in front of me. And I was like, that is so big. And because <laughs> she wasn't born until 10 o'clock at night, there was no place to get food. Sure. And I was like, donuts will work. Just shove me. 
<laughs> give me the food. And then right after, just like, okay, good night. I'm going to sleep. She came home, and two weeks later, we traveled up to Sioux Falls again, South Dakota, to have throat surgery on Noah. With all of the trach and damage that was done with the breathing tubes, they had to reconstruct his whole breathing. His throat and everything had to be reconstructed. But as a result, the ENT that did the surgery said that he no longer needed the trach. I just had to convince wow. the pathologist to agree. He was like, yeah, that's nice, but we, we can't really just do that. The specialty doctors learned that once I make my mind up about something, very little will stop me. So Jonah came home at the seven months. He came home with oxygen. And once I realized he no longer needed it, I put it on if you need it. But as long as your oxygen's fine, I'm not going to shove tubes in your throat. He's trying to learn how to crawl, trying to move. Same was with Noah. I went up there and I pulled the trach. I said, okay, I'm done. We are not going along with the trach. And the doctor's like, we can't do that. I said, well, leave it to God. He's like, okay, well, let me see. Because normally the PICU is completely filled. Called up there like, oh, yeah, we just got a room open right now. We will reserve it for him. But because she's nursing a baby, she's not welcome. My mother-in-law had gone with me for the appointment, and she said, no problem, I can stay overnight. We just have to find a place for a minute to stay. But, well, the Ron McDonald that I had lived in for seven months is always full. Even when they're full, there's a waiting list that goes on for months. So wait a minute. Where did you live for seven months? I lived at Ron McDonald House, right across from the NICU, the Vera McKinnon NICU. In Sioux Falls. Yep. So you lived there seven months. Yep. I lived in a house two and a half hours away from my husband for seven months. We were separated, not by choice. But yet our marriage became stronger during that time and could have been destroyed. And a lot of marriages during that time were put on a rough road. It wasn't easy. But we had made up our mind that we wouldn't let anything destroy us and kept focused on God, focused on the goal is to get the boys home. When Noah to get his drink, well, I had removed it, said, nope, I'm not taking him back home with one. They called the Ron McDonald house. They were like, yeah, a room just opened and we actually don't have any on the waiting list right now. So we could put her in for the night. And wow. I was like, see, God don't oh. want the trach anymore either. <laughs> and I was very excited. And so he had his sleep study, did not saturate like his oxygen stayed the entire night perfect. There was no D stats. There was no complications. No issues. And they said, I don't know why we'd send him back home with a trade. He's perfect. And I was like, because of God. Wow. We were sent home. And it was 2018, November 2018, that we pulled the trach. But when 19, the boys had RSB. And 
that still is by far the scariest moment at home was during the time they got RSB because we went back up to Sioux Falls and was admit, admitted into the PICU. And I thought I would be all alone again. We were there for six days and was able to be sent home. And less than two weeks later, admitted back into the ICU of Spencer, Iowa with rotavirus, which is kind of a flu-like type thing. But the boys were so dehydrated because Jonah still had his tube, but Noah's tube had fallen out, his feeding tube. He had no way of drinking. Wow. So we would have to put extra water in his drinks because he didn't know how to suck. Because of having the trach for so long, he didn't relearn how to suck for a very long time. And it ended up coming to a do and die moment. They released us from the hospital a little bit too soon because Noah was so agitated. He knew he was in the hospital and he just, he had enough. That environment caused so much stress to him that they said keeping him here will only cause more damage because just to get him to rest a little bit, they had to pump him full of more feet. And about how old are they now? At this point, they are two years old. They just turned two years old. They turned three that November and they were released from the hospital and we would take syringes and just like push back his throat to get him to kind of dehydrate it. And my husband kind of leaned over and said, if you don't drink, you're going to die. And Noah by morning was drinking from a sippy cup and... From that moment, they just kept on getting stronger and stronger. And I found out I was pregnant with Malachi that September of 2019. And then 2020 hits and we had the shutdown. The boys had started preschool at the beginning of the year. They had a little bit in December that they tried to go to school, but they were sick almost weekly. It was (laughs) constant of... You have to come get Jonah. You have to come get Noah. Cancel school. And so I was kind of thankful for the shutdown because it gave me a reason to be able to pull them out because they were not advancing like they needed to. And it wasn't the school's fault. The boys' immune system was just not strong enough to be able to continue to be in public school. And I was pregnant and I ended up skipping some of my doctor's appointments and used COVID as a reason not to be able to make it up there because to take all three kids up there, they didn't want the kids in there because during the shutdown, they you couldn't have any extra people. And so my doctor was perfectly fine with it. He, he knew. He was like, well, if there was a problem, you would contact me. I actually thought I was pregnant with twins again because I knew this pregnancy would healed my believing that it was my fault. So I was, all the way until Malachi, the youngest, was actually born, I thought there was two. I am so glad there was not two. (laughs) (laughs) I had two kids in one. I could not mentally handle having two. And have him. The boys, when they went to school, though, were they under any um, medical restrictions or did they have to have like certain uh, assistance? What was their school like? 
they had one-on-one assistance. Jonah, when he started preschool at three years old, because we had therapy that would come into our house. And at three years old, they stopped therapy unless you go to the preschool. He couldn't walk. Oh, wow. Jonah did not start actually walking until his first steps were actually on his third birthday when he took a couple steps. So it was another couple months before he could actually walk more than just a few steps at a time. So they actually had a walker that he would take to school with him. And when he had just learned to walk, they were trying to like, okay, that's nice. He can walk now. Let's and have a travel up and down these stairs. Thankfully, the one-on-one was one of the followers because we have a Facebook page for the boys. She had watched the entire journey. And so she didn't leave his side. She had known that he couldn't walk very well. And she said, I wanted to treat him like he was my own son. And I would not set my young child on stairs. I was so thankful for her. But she also agreed that it was best for them to be home after that. And so I've homeschooled them now. We do miss therapy once in a while, especially with Jonas still struggling with that right side. He doesn't climb or do things a six-year-old would. But he's progressing. Malachi was born June of 2020. And with Jonah and Noah, they screened me weekly for depression because it would make sense for me to. But I had such hope and faith during that time that even in the weakest times, I knew that God would keep them. There was only one day that I was firmly believing that they wouldn't make it. And that was, or that Noah wouldn't make it, was the day he had heart surgery. I hadn't slept and I said, he's he's not going to live. This is the end. And I think that would be the only day that something would have came up on the screenings. But they came home, everything started getting better. And after yeah, Malachi hit with, postpartum depression and this is during the time of covid so there wasn't a lot of resources there wasn't people that i could bring into my house with having the boys their immune system was so weak we didn't want to take the chance of sickness so we're very careful about where we went who came into our house not so much out of fear it's that we really didn't know how the boys would react because that was still at a time where everywhere you looked was complications. And we we had gone in through enough with the boys. We didn't want to add to it. So I was all alone. My mother-in-law tried the best she could to come and help, but she is a full-time nurse. She works in nursing home. And being at the nursing home, she has to be on high alert with sickness. She can bring things home at any time. So she was very careful with coming over and just trying to limit on how she interacted with having a newborn. So I started feeling like I was alone, that I wasn't a good enough mom. I had 
four kids under the age of four years old. I have people questioning, like, are you insane? Why would you do that? And Malachi's pregnancy was so rough from about four months all the way till the day he was born. I was in pain every single day. I struggled with walking and it was just because my body fully couldn't heal from having the C-section. Every time it would start healing, I'd get pregnant and it would stretch back out. So outwardly, the scar was there, but inwardly, a very open wound. Very just painful. So each time it stretched with a growing pregnancy, it would take my breath away. I would just cry. And that lasted almost five months of just crying because the pain. And my doctor would say it's normal, especially after all that. Nothing's wrong. They had done tests and everything to make sure that it wasn't something else. Yeah. Having such a rough pregnancy, thankfully the birth was not. They thought he was going to be born on the side of the road because I woke up in full-blown labor, and by the time I made it to the hospital, I was already nine centimeters centimeters and bulging it was like that baby's coming now (laughs) they called my doctor and said you better get up here or you're gonna miss it and my poor doctor had just gotten back from picking up his brother from Omaha so he didn't sleep at all when he got the call saying oh wow hospital and my doctor was trying so hard to stay awake waiting for the time I could start pushing with Malachi, that he was kind of rubbing my arm to see if he can help relax me. Because with Adeline, I was so sweet, other than throwing my phone. But for Malachi, I was just angry. I I was done. I was ready for him to be born. And my doctor accidentally hit my IV. I cannot stand IVs at all. And so I'm yelling at my poor doctor, for hitting an IV. <laughs> My judge was like, you don't question what a mom says when she's in labor. You smile and nod. He says is correct. She can say whatever she wants. Oh, I think I'd like to back up. No, you're with, uh, with your daughter. You were so sweet, except for when you threw your phone. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, like this, like little insert, like everything was fine except this. And let's talk about Malachi. And I'm just like, hold up. Like, I'm kind of into details. Like, a little bit more detail on that. So much wrong My husband should not have been near my phone when I was giving birth to Adeline. He kept on answering the phone. So he answered the phone, and I'm having contraction. Middle of the day. It's already been about six, seven hours of these contractions. So I'm like, I don't want to talk to people. I don't. And he just hands me the phone like, hey, it's equipment. I'm going, I don't care about equipment right now. I'm like, okay, whatever. Talk on the phone. And they're saying their insurance is no longer going to pay for Noah's 
equipment. And I'm like, we got that. And it's like, okay, yeah, insurance is. I don't, I'm in the middle of labor right now. I'm not talking to people. Hang up the phone. Phone rings again. And, and my husband answers and set up this meeting for therapy to show up at my house. Like three days after having a child. And that poor lady shows up and I'm going, I'm not doing therapy right now. I just had a baby. Thank you for coming. God bless you. Goodbye. But I threw my phone <laughs> because this individual kept on calling and wanting to come to the hospital. And I didn't want to FaceTime. I didn't. And my husband is just trying to look like, we're ministers. We, we need to be nice at all times. And so he hands me the phone and he goes, I, will, I think you need to FaceTime this individual and make them feel better. I threw the phone. So what? <laughs> like nudged it off of the bed and it went flying across. It didn't get broken and it got the message clear. My husband stayed away from the phone for the remainder of the evening until Adelaide was born. Took a few pictures to show some people like, yay, she was born. We're sorry nobody could come. It was at 1037 at night. And they thought she would actually go into the middle of the night. But at 10, about 1015, Tyler did a whole group message to my pastor and my pastor's wife and said, it looks like we're going to be here until about three o'clock in the morning before this baby's born. And my pastor, pastor's wife is the best. She goes, nope, that's not happening. God, you're intervening right now. She needs that baby. <laughs> she messages a whole bunch of ladies right after this revival service and says, you need to pray. Amanda needs to have that baby. And within 15 minutes, they're calling the doctor like, you get up here. Um, this baby's coming right now. We didn't think it was, but it's coming. And it took seven minutes of pushing. That is the, wow. And, just, and then you're saying, so that was, that was Adeline. And then Malachi, Malachi was just was not the well, same. Nope. Totally different. I had been up most of the night with contractions, but it was like small thing. It wasn't until about three o'clock in the morning. And because there were so many false alarms with Malachi that my husband's because because of COVID, they wouldn't even let him in the hospital until they were for sure that I was actually in labor. So after having three false alarms, they were He's just like, are you really sure you're in labor? Like, is this really contractions? Or is it just pretend which contractions, whether they're the real active ones or not, they're still real. They're still painful and uncomfortable. Yeah. And super annoying. But you're like, I don't. That's nice. These are real. He didn't realize that it was really real until three o'clock in the morning when I'm clawing at his or because of them. <laughs> my mother-in-law had to go take my niece back home real quick and then make it back to our house. And thankfully, my stepson did stay over because my mother-in-law did not make it back before Tyler's like, get in the truck. We have to go right now or you're not making it. You will have this baby on the side of the road. When I made it to Spencer, Iowa, they actually had the transport nurse standing at the emergency room door waiting for my phone call with the ambulance already started. They were preparing just to jump oh, in wow. because when I called them, they could tell it was just going to happen. And about an hour later, Malachi 
born. And he was absolutely perfect. There was no health issues with Adeline. They said she was full term, but she had some complications during pregnancy where she wasn't growing like she was supposed to. So after birth, they thought she was struggling with breathing. And I'm just sitting bawling. Like, I can't do this again, God. I cannot have another child with her in the I can't do it. And... They brought her back. Nope, it was just um, the shading. Everything looks fine. She's breathing okay. She has a little issues with eating, but within the next day or two, she'll be fine. With Malachi, no problems. He came home less than a day after being born. And it was lovely until I had postpartum depression. And I would visualize myself falling down the stairs with them. That I couldn't give them the care they needed. And all I wanted to do was just hide in a corner. And how do you hide in a corner and not get out of bed when you have four babies that rely on? Jonah and Noah were getting better. We didn't have too many medical issues, but it still was that Jonah couldn't do everything. He actually didn't start sleeping through the night until the night malachi was born just before turning four years old he would have so much problems with his stomach he'd wake up nightly and i'd have to rock him every single night they have surgery where they can't burp they can't eat spicy food they can't drink pop they struggle with those things even now fundoclarctation is what they call it it's like having gastric bypass surgery because it's a stitch around the esophagus and they can't throw up which when Adeline first did that I was panicking like what do you do with a kid that's throwing up am I trying to comfort her and hold her over the toilet at the same time because I never experienced it with the boys yeah and the day that the stitch does slit and they do that the whole world would hear that my boys have been throwing up because it's just going to be a huge celebration. Like, I wanted to slip because they're growing older. They're getting friends. How do you stop them from being able to eat spice in a household that loves spice? From being able to drink anything with carbonation. They go to a birthday party and we spend the entire night just bawling in pain because they can't release. Yeah. So during that time, it was still watching closely to Malachi as a newborn. The kids wanted to jump him. He couldn't have belly time without me hovering over again because I would have my toddlers hopping on my back to try to jump on, which explains why Malachi is fearless and he scares me because (laughs) he could fall off of something and just whimper go out and then get back up. He has fallen off of the table like high table that's about four feet off the floor gets up goes ouch and just keep on going which makes sense because when he was a baby he had to survive he (laughs) kids trying to throw him around carry him around like a ragdoll not that i would let that happen just i had four kids under four and mentally the twins were the same as Adeline. They essentially have triplets or quadruplets because they're mentally sure. closer to 
same age. As they grow older, it'll expand a little bit more where I'm not going to always be asked if I have triplets or if my six-year-olds are two-year-olds. What is their growth expectation, the twins? Like, do they look younger? Do they look smaller? They look smaller. And it's not exactly because of being born so early. It plays a little part in it. But all of my kids are incredibly tiny. They have my genes, which I'm five foot. Very small, very petite. And so they have my gene. And they say twins are normally a little bit on the shorter side, especially if they have NICU and some of these medical things. So all of my kids are very tiny. The boys are just short and slim especially for six-year-olds, but in the last few months, they are growing. They mentally know why is where he should be for six years old. There's still some comprehension that he struggles with, but he is able to almost read now. His favorite is math. He loves doing addition problems. He can make sure that everything is cleaned and organized. So for a six-year-old, that's pretty impressive. Joe sure still struggles on some of that. So Noah's his helper. Noah helps him get dressed. Noah kind of carries his bag because Jonah will carry a bag with him everywhere he goes. He has his backpack that weighs almost as much as he does that he has to have on his back or with him at all times, which is fun because it strengthens his legs and his walking. And Noah is able to outdo the 15-year-old in push-ups, and he now does pull-ups, which is very crazy for a six-year-old. Tyler, my husband, has uh, these little pull-up bars, and the kids can reach it, so he just spends his day doing pull-ups. Oh, wow. Now, you said that um, Jonah has to have a backpack. Is that, like, for medical purposes? Nope. It's a comfort. Jonah has... Once birth, he gets attached to different objects that become a comfort to him. So he has to sleep with music every night. He used to carry around this little plastic pretend tool that was supposed to be like fake wood, but he thought it was a phone. For about five months, he carried around this and it was his phone. Everywhere he went, it was in his hand and his pockets are stuffed. He never actually gets in his backpack. He just sticks the tool on the toys that are his favorite into this bag and puts it on his back and walks around everywhere he goes with it. He doesn't do a whole lot of playing with toys. He just shoves everything he likes in his pocket. Everything that is of value to him gets shoved in his pockets or his backpack. One of the youth at our church lost her car keys and we're searching everywhere. And for some reason, it didn't dawn on me to check Jonah's pocket. Go over there, personal keys. And I'm like, I am so sorry. She just laughed. She knew the whole thing. And we just laughed about it, that we have to do pocket checks when we leave places. And Adeline can find sweets anywhere she is and can grab them before you even blink. It's just, my kids are fun. That's joy. Which is what? such 
blessing. Well, I was going to say, because that's a very different ending to a story that started out with a lot of hopelessness. Yep. It, I mean, the story still is continuing, so to say, because they're still growing. Yep. yep. But at the same time, but yeah. at the same time, you have this journey that you've not just gone alone, but you have this with your family. But you've gone from miscarriage to NICU to a healthy pregnancy for the majority. And then to a, we'll call it a more trying pregnancy in your last pregnancy, but a healthy baby. Yep. And a lot of emotions. Yep. For people that have walked through NICU, I don't want to say that they all experience the same thing, but there's a difference between NICU parents getting an opportunity to see other parents just not have to have that journey. Yes. And then you feeling, and you talked about the guilt that you carried for years, but what would you turn around and encourage other NICU parents with if you could just turn around and like talk to a group of them? I would tell them to definitely surround yourself with support, find support during that time. Keep moving forward. This is going to pass. With each season of life, it won't last forever. In the middle of a season, sometimes it's hard to see the end because you get to a point where you can almost forget how it was beforehand. And you don't even know, especially in the Nick, you can walk through the double doors and they're saying, oh, it's coming. This is almost the end. And then the very next day, your child's crashing. But it's keeping your eyes forward, saying the light is coming. This isn't going to last forever. You're going to make it out of this. You're strong. It is not your fault. And you got this. No matter what it takes or how long it takes. Because being in the NICU, you're always a NICU mama. Whether it's one day I listened to one of the podcasts and she was talking about the nine days, I believe she said, of being in the NICU and how it felt like years. And I was like, oh, I feel you. And I'm crying. And I'm like, I, I know what that feels like. Nine days is still hard. I, I feel you. And she went on to talk about those 25, seven weeks. And I'm like, well, I, I know I have worn those shoes before. It changes you because it's a new dimension that is not always talked about. Tell your story. Even if it's one day. I applaud you that you were strong and you did it. You're, you got through it. Tell your story. Let others be encouraged by that. Because that was one thing that helped hearing those stories. And during that time, I found out the creator of Little uh, Finding Nemo was actually based on a story of the NICU and a premature baby. He was born at 23 weeks. And that whole entire movie actually is based on a premature where his skin was damaged. Well, the creator, his um, hand had complications, similar to Jonah. And just keep swimming is just telling, keep on fighting. Your baby's fighting. Keep fighting Mm -hmm. for them. Don't give up. So during that time, that was one of the most encouraging things is being able to watch that movie and just say, just keep up keep on fighting keep on going forward because at the end of it there is joy a little while longer mama i think that would be the best share your story 
and be open to let others tell their story. So Micro Miracles is currently available for purchase. Yes, it is available for purchase on Amazon and all major retail stores. And you're also doing book signings as well. Where are you going to be doing those? One, actually, I'm meeting tonight to set up in my hometown. But I will be going to Sioux City, Iowa, to set, and then I'm also going to Sioux Falls, South Dakota on Friday to talk to them about setting one up potentially and having it in the same town as the boys were were for the seven months and encouraging those that are currently in that NICU. I will be visiting the NICU, which I'm very excited, but those double doors always give me anxiety. So it'd be fun to go back there and look at the double doors and say what brought me so much pain is now something that is being used to reach the world. So is the link of where to order on your website? Website, yes. And on my Facebook page, Micro Miracles, you are able to find my website at the top of the page and everything else that's coming with Micro Miracles. Because Micro Miracles is official business now. And even though I'm not only focusing on writing the books about the women's ventures. It's also a way of celebrating the little miracles and the little things that God does because it's those little things that make the difference. And so my sign-off question, as always, how can non-NICU families or families who have never experienced the NICU as part of their journey within their family, support NICU families, whether that's the mother, the father, the siblings, what would you say? So um, my biggest um, answer when I ask that question is, If you've never walked in the shoes of someone in the NICU, letting them know they're not alone, that will definitely make a difference, especially when the moment is going day by day and people aren't able to travel up there. Sending small things, trying to encourage like, hey, can I take you out to eat? When Noah was in child service, one of my childhood friends that we weren't super close, but she lived five minutes away from where Noah was. She offered to go into the facility at FaceTime. And I don't believe she ever was in the shoes of someone that was in the NICU, but that is something I could never repay, is someone willing to make a way for me able to be able to see my child, to take time out of their life and say, I care. So that would be my response is if 
you know someone in the NICU or um, if it's a mom that has multiple kids, being willing to watch the kids. Can I entertain the kids for a few minutes while you go see your baby? Can Is there something that I can do for you? And snacks. One of my sister's friends showed up at Ron McDonald and just brought me snacks. And that was amazing because in the NICU, I was pumping every two to three hours trying to feed twins. I felt like a cow. I was like, I always have yeah. eating to be able to feed. You're just an ongoing rotate. Just say, hey, here's some lactation cookies to help you out if you're struggling. Here's some crackers. Here's just food lotions because in the NICU you're constantly washing because you don't want bacteria or anything so my hands were completely rolled and she would just show up and say here here's an anointment for your hand here's just small little things and it doesn't even have to cost money if you want to do handmade cards they had a bunch of kids do these handmade cards and left them on my doorstep that just said, I'm God is with you and you've got this and we're praying for your babies and you're seen, mama. I cried for a very long time and I don't cry very often. So just a small little thing. And if anyone listening is just experiencing going through a NICU journey themselves, or possibly knows anybody that are going through a NICU experience, you can reach out to Amanda via her website. Anything or they're in that shoes, if fine, you're currently in the NICU and you just want to reach out, please ask me any question. I'm here. That's why I wrote the books. And we'll put the link where you can purchase Micro Miracles in the description for anybody who is wanting that. But keep an eye out for Amanda's other books coming out. The next one I know is Growing Miracles, Journey Home. And that's the story about bringing Noah home. Yep. And then the one after that she's planning to release is called Raising Miracles, where she's able to talk about raising four kids under four and having medical needs. And so we're looking forward to that as well. But Amanda, thank you so much for being willing to come on Say the Pain and talking to us about the realities that come with life in the NICU. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Let me share my story. Absolutely. Well, everyone, you have a wonderful day. Next episode will be a tribute to Memorial Day. God bless and keep on swimming. so much for listening. If you enjoyed this content, please leave a review and share. If you'd like to donate, at this time you can do so via Venmo. You can learn more in the descriptions. Say the Pain will be back with another episode in two weeks. And until then, make a difference.